0: This week we are still in our sermon series that we're calling A Day with God. And so what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is looking at the most ordinary moments of our day and doing our best to discern where God might be at work in those those moments. And I've kind of said every week at the beginning that I've kind of been struck by what I think is a truth that there is no moment, no task, no, no routine too small in our day to not reflect the presence of God. And maybe even the work of God in our life at, at some capacity, right? So the very first week, we talked about the moment that we wake up in the morning. Last week, we talked about the moment that we brush our teeth uh, every morning and hopefully every evening and spent some time talking about the habits that fill our days. And today we're going to spend some time reflecting on that dreaded moment that I know that you have felt before when we're about to walk out of the door and we're right on time but we reach for our pocket and look at the kitchen counter and we realize that we've lost our keys. You've been there, right? I was there this past week. So I know that you you've have to have been there at least once in your life. Struck By not knowing, having any clue where your keys are. We're going to read our scripture first and then we'll get into it. So we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 12. We're in verses 22 through 31. Let's read together. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they will grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that seek all these things and your father knows that you need them instead seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well this is the word of God for the people of God and we say together thanks be to God I usually have a plan for my morning for the most part right I I wake up I try to grab a shower as soon as I wake up I brush my teeth we talked about that last week though uh, sometimes I make the coffee. Sometimes Madison makes the coffee. I usually get our one-year-old sippy cups ready for school I go wake him up and then me and Madison kind of tag team getting him ready for school At least until she has to leave for school in the morning, too And right now the the routine is and I've learned that this changes as your child gets older. But but for now our routine is we give Reed milk at home in the morning And then he eats breakfast at school at 745. And they have the good stuff at school for breakfast. Let me tell you, like one day it's biscuits and gravy every week. And the day that it's biscuits and gravy, y'all, when I walk in that classroom, he is jumping out of my arms to go eat some of that biscuits and gravy. We get blueberry muffins every week. I think they even give them scones once a week. Like it is top tier carby breakfast food, right? And so all that to say, If you're running a little bit late in the morning, Reed will not hesitate to let you know, right, that he can sense that you're a little off schedule and it may cause him to get his biscuits and gravy a little bit later than he would like. And never fail, every once in a while, we'll be getting ready to walk out of the door right on time, right at 730. And I'll go to the kitchen counter and grab my wallet and grab my phone and realize that I have no clue where my keys are. And I got a squirmy one-year-old in my arms that thinks we're about to go walk out of the door. And you felt this before, haven't you? It's like your whole morning just screeches to halt, And I don't know about you, but I always go through the exact same routine. I check the pockets of the computer bag first, right? Thinking that maybe when I got home, I slipped them into my work bag. And if they're not there, then I go check the pants that I wore the previous day, even though I'm pretty sure they're not there, but they could be there, right? I mean, those are the first two places that I always check. And then when they aren't in either one of those places, I start to panic a little bit and I feel my blood pressure start to just flare up just 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 a little just a little bit. And that's when it kind of sinks in for me that I think I've actually lost them, that, that I've lost my keys and I don't know where they are, which means my morning plan is is out of the window, along with my cool, calm, collected self. Reed's starting to get fussy because he's thinking about those biscuits and gravy, right? And I can't blame the guy. And it's usually during the school year, so Madison has already left for work by this point. So it's just me and Reed. That's it, just me and Reed. And I begin to ask that question. Where could they be? And then I go through the steps, right, that we all go through when we're searching for lost objects around my house. I start with logic. I start by retracing my steps, looking in all of the places that would make the most sense for my keys to be. And at this point, I mean, I feel my blood pressure rising, but I'm still feeling fairly calm, all things considered. Like, this isn't a big deal, they're they're, going to turn up phase, right? Running that mantra through my head. But it doesn't take long for me to begin to call myself an idiot. My searching becomes much more frantic and then I just resort to scanning every surface of the house, walking around like a like a crazy person. And that's when the anger and the frustration really begin to come out and I switch back and forth between blaming myself and blaming somebody else I may even text Madison and ask her if she knows where my keys are but she's never any help when it comes to any of this because they're my responsibility unfortunately and then I start to have like this this mild crisis of faith and maybe this is just because I'm a pastor but I begin to think well I know God knows where my keys are right now why isn't he helping right why can't he just tell me where they are and then it's just pure desperation. I mean, you felt this, haven't you? This, this spiral that happens so, so quickly. And then I just start looking everywhere. I start looking in drawers. I start looking under beds. I start looking in random pant pockets that I know I haven't worn in, in days. I start looking in the places that I've already looked a couple of times, thinking maybe, maybe I missed them, just flying around the house in a tizzy. And I look down and realize it's been 10 minutes. And I remember a Catholic friend of mine told me that I should pray to St. Anthony when I lose something. And so sometimes I'll throw up a prayer kind of like, I don't really know how this works, but if you're listening and you can lend me a hand, I would really appreciate it. I'm kind of in a low spot uh, right now. And then usually I just, I just give up. I sit on the couch, I pull out some puffs or some cheese for Reed to eat, just trying to get that blood sugar balanced out again, you know what I mean? And I start to think that I'm hopeless I'm I'm never gonna find them. They they are gone forever. There is no telling where they are. Maybe I'm gonna have to have to, all of the keys remade that are on my keychain and how much money is that is that gonna cost? Or maybe I'll just be stuck here forever with no keys. I'm never gonna get to leave the house again. The morning is ruined, everything is worthless, and I just allow myself to wallow for just a bit, just beat myself up a little bit. And then I pull myself back together. I restart the cycle, and I find my keys under the couch five minutes later, right? No clue how they possibly could have gotten there. And look, most, most likely I will, I'll move on pretty quickly with my day, right? I'll get, get read in the car, drop them at school, make it to the office, and kind of forget about those 15 minutes that caused me to have a, a mild crisis of faith. But the more I've thought about it this week, I think the more I've I've realized that, that that moment, that flurry that we have all felt when we lose our keys or our phone or our wallet or whatever it might be, something that is necessary for us to be an adult that day, right? It's a glimpse into just how tightly we cling to control. And it's a realization, at least for me every time, of just how little control I actually have over my life. And, and then when we realize that absence of control, how, how quickly do we begin to feel stuck and stressed and worried and anxious? And all of a sudden, everything that we prefer to keep hidden, it all begins to bubble up to the surface. It's like when everything goes according to plan in my morning, I look like I have it all together. But all it takes is lost keys for the anxiety to begin to flow out of me. And I'm betting that you aren't that different. I found a study this week that Amazon did a few years ago. They were trying to see what the most highlighted lines were in some of the most popular Kindle books, right? Those e-reader books. And so they looked at Lord of the Rings. They looked at Harry Potter. I think they just wanted to see what it was that resonated with people in a lot of these books. And one of the books they analyzed was the Bible. I don't think it's surprising, at least not to me, that the Bible is the most highlighted book overall of all of the books that they have available for digital purchase. And it's been sold, at least on that format, at least 150 million times, which is which is kind of crazy. And that's a lot of data that they can pull from to see what are some of the most highlighted passages in all of Scripture. And I kind of had my guesses of what I thought the top one was going to be. My first one was John 3.16. I was pretty confident in that. And then I thought maybe it was going to be something from Psalm 23. I feel like that's a really popular passage of Scripture. But it's actually neither of those. It's a passage out of Philippians. That's the most highlighted passage in all of Scripture. It's chapter 4, and it's verses 6 through 7. I'm betting that you've heard at least parts of it before don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we are a people who worry clearly that is the most highlighted passage of scripture and all it says is don't worry Take your worries to God and trust that he will do the rest. And the truth is that Paul isn't coming up with this on his own when he writes to the church in Philippi. He's pulling from the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus in our scripture for this morning, he tells us, well, he tells the disciples, but I think in doing so, he tells us not to worry. This is what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Then he goes on to give these examples. Consider the ravens, he says. They don't sow or reap and yet God still cares for them. Consider the lilies, how they manage to grow without toil or spin or think about how God closed the grass of the field with the bottom line being very similar to what we see Paul writing, isn't it? We shouldn't worry because if God is doing all of this for the birds and for the lilies and for the grass, then how much more do we believe God is willing to do for us? I'm betting that you've heard at least one of those passages Before, I'm guessing that at least one of them sounds familiar to you. I was talking to a friend this week, and he told me that that passage out of Luke that we read from Luke 12 is his favorite Bible verse. And when his daughter was born and was having some health issues, it was it was the section of Scripture that he really clung to. The most it was what he found himself going to over and over and over again. That teaching from Jesus trying to get us to trust the fact that he has got us. And then we don't have to worry. And when he said that, I think I realized that that is what we do with these passages of scripture most often. We reserve them for the big monumental worries of our life. Like when a child is sick or when, or when we lose our job or when we get a health diagnosis or when you're just having one of those days or weeks or months where nothing is going the direction that you want it to go. And I don't think there's really anything wrong with that per se, but I realized this week something about myself. That if the situation or the circumstance that is causing me to worry is something really, really big and really sharp and really profound, then I expect and believe that God will meet me in its midst. I've been taught that and I've experienced that since I was a child. But for some reason, in the struggles of the everyday I feel like I have a right to be annoyed or or like for some reason, my faith can be thrown out of the window when it's something really, really small. And it seems to me the way Jesus is speaking here in the scripture, that the disciples aren't much different than that. When Jesus is addressing the disciples here, he doesn't tell them not to worry about all of the really, really big stuff. Did you notice that? He doesn't bring up anything monumental. He doesn't bring up anything huge. He doesn't say, don't worry about whether the Roman Empire is going to take me and crucify me or not. Or don't worry about how they're going to persecute you after I am gone and after I have ascended. He doesn't say, "Don't guys, don't worry about the end of the world, does he? He doesn't even say, don't worry about your families back home that you left to come and follow me. He doesn't bring up any of that big stuff when he's talking To them. Instead, he tells them not to worry about three ordinary, everyday parts of life. He says, Don't worry about what you're going to eat, don't worry about your body, and don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, Life is more than just these three things. And it struck me that Jesus might as well be telling his disciples to not worry about it when they lose their keys on a Tuesday morning. Why do you think it is that, that Jesus addresses the everyday worries to his followers in this moment, when there are clearly bigger things that they could be worried about? I mean, if we zoom out for just a second, we, we can see that, that they are in the midst of a religious and really a political revolution, Right? following this man that we know is the Messiah. And I I could be wrong about this, but I, I can't help but think that Jesus knows that if we are going to be a people who are not consumed with worry when the big stuff comes around, we have to learn how to deal with the small stuff first. It's like he knows that if he wants his disciples to have the faith to face what he knows is on the horizon, right? If he wants them to have the courage and the trust to walk the path that he knows they're going to have to walk, then they're first going to have to learn how to not worry about what they're going to wear or what they're going to eat or what their bodies may look like and instead just learn how to follow him. It's almost like Jesus is trying to get his disciples to cultivate that practice of trusting that he will meet them in the smallest moments of grief and frustration and anger and worry so that when the big stuff comes around, they might actually be ready to face it. Here's what I came up with this week, and I I put it on my whiteboard in my office on Tuesday, and I've been staring at it every day. I think learning how to not sweat the small stuff is how we build the fate to face the big stuff. And for me, at least, that, that really struck a chord with me this week. I think there's a lot of truth to, what, to that. And, and I really, this morning, I don't in any way intend to, to demonize worry or anything like that. I really do believe that it, it is a part of the lives that we live And as humans, we will face really challenging and unexpected and painful circumstances that will evoke worry and and anxiety out of us. But we are also going to face so many inconsequential situations that for some reason we allow to have such a deep impact on us that, that really shouldn't. And if that's how we train ourselves to respond, then when we do face the big stuff, I'm afraid that we won't be in a good place to walk through that season as a people of faith. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. The next time that you lose your keys or you can't find your phone or you have no clue where your your wallet is and you hit that point of hopelessness or at that point of despair that I I tried to model for you the best uh, that I could, is to pull out your phone, or if you've lost your phone, then then pull out your Bible, and flip to Luke 12, and just read this passage. Just, Just read it. And take just a moment to actually consider the ravens. Like, let's actually do what Jesus tells us to do when we find ourselves in moments of worry. Let's consider the birds of the air. Let's think about the lilies of the field. Let's think about the grass that we see growing all around us. Let's take just a moment and invite God into that moment with us and just see what happens. And maybe the next time we lose our keys, we won't lose our minds as well. Or maybe the next time we lose our keys, we won't lose our faith as well. And I'll make a promise to you, and I'm serious. If you're willing to do this, then then I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to try it. And I completely understand that it's going to feel ridiculous in the moment when you've lost your keys to pull out your Bible and read Luke 12. But I am just curious what kind of reframing might happen for us if we take up this, this practice. Because I'm pretty convinced after this week that this teaching from Jesus puts us on that trajectory That learning to not sweat the small stuff, that learning to let God into those moments with us is how we build the faith to face those really big things of life that that we know we're going to face. Trusting that when we do that, I believe, I believe that we'll be one step closer to being the people that God is calling us to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.